Prepare to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening and welcome back. Happy holiday weekend. Busy weekend. Yeah, it's a bang up weekend. A bang up weekend. <laughs> I'm over it. Okay, so so that's what I was just going to ask. I mean, I love holiday weekends, don't get me wrong, but the fireworks, not a fan. That's what I was going to, I, th- I kind of thought you and I were both on the same page about this. Yes. Like looking at them. I guess. I guess. Okay. But I don't, I hate the idea of like the giant crowd and ooing and on and waiting for it to start. It's so dangerous. And then it keeps my children up, which keeps me up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sleep is precious. So the other question I have, mm-hmm. like July 4th barbecue, do you feel the need to have a barbecue? Do, if, you, do you do that like in the backyard with all of, because you, you have a lot of family gatherings. We do. And we do. Yep. We usually do something. But, who, but we do it often, though. So, I, I mean. <laughs> so, it's just like Saturday for yeah, you. Yeah, I mean. It's like every Saturday. Weather pending. Yes, we love to. Have so, do you do anything special for the July 4th Independence Day barbecue family gathering? No. I mean, parades, right? My husband okay. loves parades. My daughter's been in more parades than you could even imagine, and she's seven years old. She's bet, been in more than seven. I, I bet mean, she's definitely been in more than she's watched. Oh, I don't think she's watched a parade ever. I don't honestly. I don't think she has. She's been in probably fourteen because it's probably like two a year. That's hilarious. Um, so yeah. So you know, she's like her dad though. So she's a good waver. Oh, and, practicing the you wave. Kaya's Kaya's first parade will be well, first parade that she'll maybe remember mm-hmm. be tomorrow. Okay, so because we're talking barbecues briefly here, yeah, hot dogs or hamburgers. Ooh. Oh, hamburgers with avocado, bacon, the goods. Okay. And who's the, the grill meister? Always Mark. Always Mark. Yep. He's good. He's good. He's good. He because likes- he wants to and you just go, okay, I'll let him or because you prefer he, him to do it. I prefer him. He's definitely okay. a really good cook. Okay. Um, I had to learn to cook when um, his schedule shifted and I needed uh-huh. to feed my children and myself <laughs> before he came home. Uh, but prior to that, uh, he did most of the cooking. So yeah. So outdoor okay. cooking is still his gig. Okay. Yeah. You? And, and I would agree with hamburgers over hot dogs. I like them both. I'll eat them both. Yep. But yeah. if you're like barbecuing, it feels like if I went to that effort, <laughs> I want to do the hamburger <laughs> right. instead of the hot dog. And then Renee or you? Oh, me. Of oh, course. you. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> no. See? Either one of us. Grill master. Because Renee likes to do veggies. Oh, yes. Like cuts up all kinds of veggies. And I don't do them well. I mean, she always says, oh, this is perfect. But I know she's like, oh, I could have done it better. <laughs> because they fall through for me. And right. So I like now have a little like net thing. and Ooh. But like onions and peppers and tomatoes. And yeah. All so kinds what time? Of- we'll just come over to your place. <laughs> all right. So moving along. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're not coming to your house, Renee. <laughs> yeah. She's suddenly getting a panic when yeah. she hears this. All right. So um, shall we get right to the history highlights? Let's do it. Yeah. Things for tomorrow, July 4th. Big history. So there'll be no mystery. I know what's the highlight highlight. of the day. I was almost going to pick a different one just to, (laughs) but but there were other things that happened on July 4th. Of course. So 1636, city of Providence, Rhode Island is formed. Oh, okay. I lived in Rhode Island for a year. I I had a failed uh, attempt at college outside (laughs) of of, uh, Providence. And the craziest thing I remember about Providence, it reminded me 
of what I picture a European city looking like instead of a traffic circle, which I love. I love traffic circles. I think they're brilliant. I love the way they work if you all understand how they work. Right. <laughs> but it was like this giant square. And picture if you made a square, like 12 different entrants. Oh. And there were no lanes. So like I'm shooting out of, if let's say it was a clock, a square clock. I'm shooting out of eight and I just decide I'm going over to three. Somebody else is coming out of nine and deciding they're going to 12. Ooh. It was chaos and I never understood how it worked. <laughs> so I liked Providence, but I do not like the traffic in Providence. Right. Uh, and there's probably someplace saying there was this strange little red yeah. Volkswagen Beetle that never understood <laughs> it how it worked. It. Okay. Um, but welcome to the party, Providence. Uh, congratulations. Happy birthday. 1802, the U.S. Military Academy opens at West Point, New York. Mm-hmm. 1826, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams both die within hours of each other Hmm. on July 4th and on the same year. Wow, I didn't realize that. That's a strange coincidence. That is. It must mean something. Ooh. (laughs) We should start like some- We love a good mystery. We should start like some strange conspiracy theory. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. 1827, slavery is abolished in New York State. Good job. Way to go, New York. Yeah. 1827, that's early. That is. Okay, 1845, Henry David Thoreau moves into his shack on Walden Pond. I had that one. That was a good one. So could you live in a, in a, in a shack on a pond? Uh, define shack. See, I like electricity and I like hot showers. Okay, so no, I couldn't. And I like indoor toilets. <laughs> that right. flush. Yes. <laughs> I don't but mind the solitude. Everything else sounded very idyllic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Solitude, pretty. Yeah. But, great great writing out of it. But I like modern stuff. Uh, 1865, the first edition of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis yeah. Carroll was published. Yeah. And we decided, had you read this to your kids? It, right. No, I haven't. You did not. Okay. It's too odd and strange. Gotcha. And can you explain it to... Uh, no, but my yeah. daughter loves it. Uh, <laughs> 1880, this was like our fear as when we might leave her alone for the weekend or like a Saturday night or something when she was a teenager, that... We were not afraid she was going to have a big beer party or something. She would have an Alice in Wonderland tea party with her friends. Oh. And they would dress in costume. For real. And I know there's some parents that are going, yeah, you're naive, Mac. But yeah. no, it really was. That's that's what she would do. Oh, I love that. So, uh, 1881, Booker T. Washington establishes the uh, Tus- Tuskegee Institute oh, in Alabama. Yeah. Good. Good for good him. Uh, 18, because nobody else wanted and how rude. So 1883, Buffalo Bill Cody presents the first Wild West show in North Platte, Nebraska. Just for laughs, I was going to make that the history highlight. No. <laughs> because it really does. Buffalo Bill Cody kind of sets the whole stage of our, our romanticized version and vision of what the Old West was like. Wild, Wild West. Exactly. Yeah, lots gun, of movies. Gunfights. Yep. They never really happened the way that we all think they happened. Probably the pretty terrible, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and that certainly had a big impact, but it would be hard to argue. Right. Uh, 1884, France gives the Statue of Liberty to the United States. Yeah. Thanks, France. It was a good gift. It was a good gift. I wonder where we got them. Yeah. <laughs> Did we get them anything? Have we ever given them anything? I, I don't know. <laughs> it just occurred to me. How rude of us. Hmm. There must be more to that story. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna sure. have to. I'm gonna have to research if we've ever. Made Al- a big allyship, gift. right? I mean, certainly. Okay, World War One, World War Two, but right. Did we ever really give a big present? <laughs> okay, uh, nineteen. We're just takers. Nineteen sixty six. LBJ signs the Freedom of Information Act. That's a good one. So I put this sure. on specifically for you oh, yeah. as yep. a reporter. Yep. 
Did you ever evoke the Freedom of Information Act and say, I demand to know? Oh, for sure. Did you? All the time. Oh, (laughs) my goodness. All the time. All the time. Any good stories? Uh, No. I mean, it's always boring stories because it's just, I mean, cumbersome. Paperwork Uh, and, yeah. So one of the things I've always believed, so you can tell me if this is true or not, is that Freedom of Information Act is is access but not immediate access correct so hey we have to make copies we have to yep. dig it out and yep. it's not like oh you're gonna get the story for tomorrow's newspaper or tomorrow's that's why it's cumbersome yeah. so you never get i mean at we, least in my we could put yeah. you off for for months a long time yep okay uh, but our history highlight of the day, the thing I think had the most impact, 1776. There we go. The Continental Congress adopts the Declaration of Independence. Yep. It was a big one. It was a big one. Yeah. Uh, Thomas J. That's why we like <laughs> Thomas J. All right. So did, we, did I miss anything? No. That was, you, you had them really? all. I, may, I know. It doesn't always oh, happen. Goodness. Okay. So because we want to wish everybody a, a wonderful Independence Day, July 4th, tomorrow. And you're probably celebrating the whole weekend here. Yep. Uh, we thought we'd give a little history lesson of some of the the seven events that led to the American Revolution. Okay. And I believe I've shared this story before, but it, it always kind of drove me nuts. I worked in, in summer camps as a young teenager, close to like 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. And we always had some guys from Brit- Britain, oh, British, yeah. that were there. And the younger staff members, like the 1415s, were always like, we kicked your butt in the revolution. And I always say no. And they would have no concept of how the revolution happened, why it happened. And then the end result was that Washington just never really lost. (laughs) We didn't win anything but one decisive battle. We won a few skirmishes, but we were fighting the biggest nation in the world. And we just didn't lose. And those teenage boys just scratched their head and said, oh, yes, they, Mac. They, yeah, they didn't want to listen. <laughs> so um, we, I found this nice little concise piece uh, by a guy named Patrick J. Kiger for your history lesson today. Okay. So the American colonists break up with the British Empire in 1776 wasn't a sudden impetuous act. Instead, the banding together of the 13 colonies that really were pretty independent uh, to fight and win a war of independence, win their independence against the crown, was the culmination of a series of events which had begun more than a decade earlier. Escalations began shortly after the end of the French and Indian War, also known uh, as the Seven Years' War, in 1763. So here are a few of the pivotal moments that led to the American Revolution, the seven things we think had uh, immediate leading up to the American Revolution. Okay. Uh, The Stamp Act, March 1765. To recoup some of the massive debt left over from the war with France, Parliament passed laws such as the Stamp Act, which for the first time taxed a wide range of transactions in the colonies. Up until then, each colony had its own government, which decided which taxes they would have and collected them. They felt that they'd spent a lot of blood and treasure to protect the colonists from the Native Americans, and so they should pay their share. The colonists didn't see it that way. They resented not only having to buy goods from the British, but pay tax on them as well. Oh, scoff, scoff. (laughs) (laughs) The tax never got collected because there were riots all over the place. Ultimately, Ben Franklin convinced the British to rescind it, but that only made things worse. That made the Americans think they could push back against anything the British wanted. Oh, that's not good. Taxing. So, number two, the Townsend Acts that uh, were between June and July of 1767. 
Parliament again tried to assert its authority by passing legislation to tax goods that the Americans imported from Great Britain. The Crown established a Board of Customs commissioners to stop smuggling and corruption among local officials in the colonies who were often in on the illicit trade. That's how a lot of money was made. Americans struck back by organizing a boycott of the British goods that were subject to taxation and began harassing the British customs commissioners. In an effort to quell the resistance, the British sent troops to occupy Boston, which only deepened the ill feeling. Mm, Back and forth. Leading to... (laughs) The Boston Massacre, March 1770. On the night, night of March 5th, 1770, the streets of Boston, Massachusetts, were coated with snow and tension was thick between angry colonists and the British soldiers who occupied their town. As British private Hugh White stood guard near the Custom House on King Street around 8 o'clock, he was approached by a small group of frustrated young male colonists. Reports, reports vary as to exactly what happened next, but insults and taunts were exchanged and a physical confrontation ensued. Church bells rang out and incensed colonists flooded the streets. Then someone pelted White with a snowball (laughs) (laughs) this could have gone so many different directions it could have i mean but they were angry instead angry mobs are never a good thing as private hugh white was pelted with that snowy that snowy night in boston help arrived in the form of captain thomas preston and several of his men by this time some of the colonists weapons of choice had changed from snowballs to clubs and sticks according to preston's written account of the event one soldier was struck in the head with a stick and fired his gun as more snowballs and other projectiles including ice and oyster shells, flew and clubs were wielded. Other redcoats fired on the mob, killing five colonists and wounding six more. By the time the first shots were fired at the massacre, British regulars and Bostonians viewed each other with suspicion and contempt. As the smoke cleared, three men, including an African-American sailor named Crispus Atux, were dead and two others were mortally wounded. The massacre became a useful propaganda tool for the colonists, especially after Paul Revere distributed an engraving that misleadingly depicted the British as the aggressors. Was the real shot heard round the world? A snowball. A snowball shot. <laughs> See, I have to, I have to, I, I, I don't appreciate shooting. They're not unarmed, but shooting into a crowd. But I also feel for these poor guys. And right. that was the, the argument that, um, um, John Adams defended mm. them in court that there's like seven of them and there's this huge mob of like 200 guys right? and they're throwing stuff at them not just light fluffy snowballs they're throwing ice they're throwing sticks and they're wielding and making clubs and yeah. I, I can't even imagine the feeling looking out at a huge and it's dark mob. I'm sure right because it's 8 o'clock at night in the winter yeah. so in the middle of the city I've been there I've been right where that customs house is and it's not that big of a building yeah. it kind of sits in the middle it's surrounded by now really tall large buildings so i've been on the independence um, walk but i can't really remember it very well it was it was a, a, again kind of like everything it's a lot just smaller so <laughs> not very intimidating of a place so i can yeah. see where they wouldn't feel protected so i don't i don't uh, approve i don't condone the shooting but i also i kind of understand right all right so men out at night in the dark <laughs> never a good thing never good so the boston tea party december 1773 you can see we're getting closer getting closer and closer to the big the big yep. event 
So the British eventually withdrew their forces from Boston and repealed much of the onerous Townsend legislation. But they left in place the tax on tea. Oh, big mistake. Big mistake. And in 1773, enacted a new law, the Tea Act, to prop up the financially struggling British East India Company. The act gave the company extended favorable treatment under tax regulations so that it could sell tea at a price that undercut the American merchants who imported from Dutch traders. So many lessons learned. Here. They didn't. There is. <laughs> they didn't. Sit, that didn't sit well with the Americans. They didn't want the British telling them that they had to buy their tea, uh, where they had to buy their tea. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't just about that. The Americans wanted to be able to trade with any country they wanted. Right. Fair. It was pretty substantial that it made sense where you kind of had to buy that tea, or else you're paying sure. a huge, huge price. The Sons of Liberty, a radical group, decided to confront the British head-on. Thinly disguised as Mohawk Native Americans, they boarded three ships in Boston Harbor and destroyed more than 92,000 pounds of British tea by dumping it into the harbor. To make the point that they were rebels rather than vandals, they avoided harming any of the crew or damaging the ships themselves, and the next day even replaced a padlock that had been broken. That kind of makes me laugh. Nevertheless, the act of defiance really ticked off the British government. Many of the East India Company's shareholders were members of Parliament. They each had paid a thousand pounds sterling, that would probably be about a million dollars now, for oh, a share wow. of the company to get a piece of the action from all this tea that they were going to force down the colonists' throat. So when these uh, bottom-of-the-rung people in Boston destroyed their tea, that was a serious thing to them. I mean, tea, 92,000 pounds. Yeah. That's a lot of tea. I wonder if you could just like dip your cup into the harbor <laughs> oh and drink gosh. some tea. But, but what's amazing is it's kind of like insider trading of some kind here. Oh, for like sure. They're passing, they're <laughs> yes. passing laws. Good. I, I love you. are like, well, come down. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I was missing from your reaction. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're making this law like you got to buy my tea and then they're investing in the company that's really their tea at this point. Yes. So. And they're making it impossible for anyone yeah. else to. Yeah. Yep. A little hypocrisy going okay. on. Uh, the Coercive Acts. This is March through June of 1774. Now, in response to the Boston Tea Party, the British government decided that it had to tame the rebellious colonists in Massachusetts. In the spring of 1774, Parliament passed a series of laws, the Coercive Acts, which closed Boston Harbor until restitution was paid for the destroyed tea, replaced the colony's elected council with one appointed by the British, and gave sweeping powers to the British military governor, General Thomas Gage and forbade town meetings without approval. Yet another provision protected British colonial officials who were charged with capital offenses from being tried in Massachusetts, instead requiring they be sent to another colony or back to Great Britain for trial. But perhaps the most provocative provision was the Quartering Act, which allowed British military officials to demand accommodations for their troops in unoccupied houses and buildings in towns, rather than having them stay out in the countryside. While it didn't force the colonists to board troops in their own homes, they had to pay for the expense of housing and feeding the soldiers. The quartering of troops eventually became one of the grievances cited in the Declaration of Independence. That's one of my favorites, is not having to to have soldiers live in my house. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. and I'm always the amazed. people that are there to to keep you in line. Yes. <laughs> Guess what? You have to keep them. I'm always amazed that people don't talk about that more, like in the in the uh, Bill of Rights. <laughs> that one's so prominent. Right. Right. Uh, all right. But um, Lexington and Concord, April 1775. 
British General Thomas Gage led a force of British soldiers from Boston to Lexington where he planned to capture colonial radical leaders Sam Adams and John Hancock and then head to Concord and seize their gunpowder. But American spies got wind of the plan and with the help of writers such as Paul Revere, there's more than one, and word spread to be ready for the British. On the Lexington Common, the British force was confronted by 77 American militiamen. <laughs> that always just kind of amazes me. <laughs> it's I not mean, very many. 77 yeah. guys. This is the largest, most forceful army <laughs> in the history of the world. Uh, and they began, shoot, uh, they began shooting at each other. Seven Americans died, but the other militiamen managed to stop the British at Concord and continued to harass them on their retreat back to Boston. The British lost 73 dead, with another 174 wounded and 28 missing in action. The bloody encounter proved to the British that the colonists were fearsome foes who had to be taken seriously. It was the start of America's War of Independence. British attacks on coastal towns. Now, this was October 1775 through January 1776. Though the Revolutionary War's hostility started with Lexington and Concord, it was unclear at that point whether the southern colonies, whose interests didn't necessarily align with the northern colonies, would be all in for a war of independence. The southerners were totally dependent upon the English to buy their crops, and they didn't trust the northern Yankees. And in New England, the Puritans thought the southerners were lazy. Uh, this is sort of a leading up to another war that's coming up in a, another couple of years. Uh, but that was before the brutal British naval bombardments and burning of the coastal towns of Falmouth, Falmouth, Massachusetts, and Norfolk, Virginia, which helped to unify the colonies. Um, in Massachusetts, where townspeople had to grab their possessions and flee, Northerners had to face up to the fear that the British would do whatever they wanted to them. The burning of Falmouth shocked General George Washington, who denounced it as exceeding in barbarity and cruelty every hostile act practiced among civilized nations. Similarly, in Norfolk, the horror of the town's wooden buildings going up in flames after a seven-hour naval bombardment shocked the Southerners, who also knew the British were offering African Americans their freedom if they took up arms on the Loyalist side. Norfolk stirred up fears of slave insurrection in the South. Leaders of the rebellion seized the burnings of the two ports to make the argument that the colonists needed to band together for survival against a ruthless enemy and embrace the need for independence, a spirit that would ultimately lead to their victory. So sort so, of using the South, South's uh, downfall to uh, bring them together. Well, and that's always one of the things that we forget. The United yeah. States right. of America. These were all independent little, I mean, there was trade they were back doing and their forth. Own thing. But it really, yeah, I mean. And it, so far apart, too. I mean, right? I mean, oh, back then, sure, right. even more. And there really was this, well, Massachusetts is just a troublemaker up there in Boston. Why should we get in trouble for what they're doing? Right. There was kind of that attitude for a lot of the elected officials. I'm sure. So, uh, but one of the other things I love, and I, I don't have the exact stat or the exact date, but but I had a uh, history professor once, and this, this stuck with me without the actual specifics, but that we declared war on the largest force in the history of the globe, and we had exactly two cannon. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the audacity. Right. But... So. Geography worked in our favor, though. I mean, you kind of wonder, too. Like, I mean, they, it, Great Britain was so far away. I mean, did they really well, think that this was a sustainable... Uh, and that and that's the whole reason. You know, yeah. had, had Washington re regularly and repeatedly 
engage them the way that that wars were fought at that time, we would have lost instantly. And that's what the the people making decisions in England were counting on. They were oh, not counting on you know kind of a guerrilla war and pulling back and right. and hiding and then skirmishes and and they just we. Washington was brilliant that he never lost. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the key. He never let him. He never had to surrender his forces. That right. he always escaped to to fight somewhere else another time. And then you know a couple of major victories, and then the French come in, and all of a sudden England's like, "This is not worth it." I know. I mean, at <laughs> what point do you think that they were just like, "Oh my goodness, this is this you, is not what we bargained you, for." You can have the country, right? <laughs> we don't. I mean, we don't want it. We don't send need our it. tea back, please. <laughs> <laughs> and at some point, I, I I didn't see it in there, and I, I know that I, I know somewhere that at one point Benjamin Franklin offered to pay for all the tea oh, that that, the, that they had thrown overboard, huh. and that. Um, he was either rejected or other people around him said, no, don't do it. And we need to, why should we, why should we pay though. for it? Wow. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we just got a few minutes. Should we do some, uh, this week in local history? Sure. Just a couple. We got a whole bunch here. Okay. Um, so let me see one of my, uh, the ones that I like here. Um, so we should do some things about July 4th. So July 4th, 1920, Columbia beach was the scene of a joyous occasion when fully 3000 people gathered for a genuine old fashioned celebration of the nation's birthday. After a picnic luncheon to which everyone did ample justice, the afternoon was uh, devoted to dancing and various sports, including a game of baseball between the Grange nine and a team of old timers. The jollification. (laughs) I love that word. I know these adjectives. The jollification continued until late in the evening and was pronounced by all as a grand success. That's a good one. Yep. July 4th, also on 1920, despite the firecrackers, pinwheels, and other hazardous devices used by youngsters to celebrate the 4th of July, none of these things caused a single fire in Astoria. The fire department having to answer but one call the entire day, that being from the residents on Columbia Avenue where a flu fire occurred. It was extinguished before any damage had been done to the building. A flu fire. That's hard to say. Yeah. Okay. Um, going backwards a little bit. July 3rd, 1898. Now, we're not advocating this here on the big radio show. Okay. July 3, 1898, a party from the neighborhood of Green Mountain will celebrate the advent of the 4th in a very unique manner. A number of moss-covered trees on the summit of Saddle Mountain will be set afire on the night of July 3rd, creating a firework that can be viewed from all over the county. That sounds awful. What were they thinking? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) We're going to go up on Saddle Mountain and set all the trees on fire. Why isn't the next day talking about a a wildfire? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, July 3rd, 1926, a, an historic piano once owned by John Jacob Astor and built by his older brother, George Astor, will be on display in Astoria at the time of the Astoria Founders Celebration, July 22nd or 21st and 22nd, and probably will be used in connection with the musical portion of the program dedicating the column on Coxcomb Hill. I tried to track that piano down during the Astoria Bicentennial Did and you? Couldn't, couldn't do it. And is that when we had... Um, a, a concert on the hill up there? Yeah. 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 Beautiful. So uh, July 5th, 1873, at a very early hour yesterday morning, the hillside surrounding the city echoed and re-echoed the booming of cannons, giving the public positive assurances that the 4th, the glorious and great natal day of Americans everywhere, had come once more by the ever-revolving wheel of time and that they must arouse and enthusiastically cheer the event. I just need to say this to myself over and over tonight. And tomorrow. 
<laughs> that's just so poetic. Yes. Um, let's see. Um, July 5th, 1898. The cricket match yesterday at Seaside between Astoria and Portland 11s was won by Astoria by two runs. The play was above the average and the visitors thoroughly enjoyed themselves. July 6, 1897. Astoria had a grand fourth. The literary exercises glowed with patriotic sentiment and eloquence. Plenty of firecrackers, bombs, fireworks, a parade, races, and other athletic sports. Oration by Harrison Allen, music by children in adult chorus, and short speeches by several prominent citizens. Yankee Doodle had an inning yesterday. The stars and stripes floated proudly over all the public and many of the private buildings, and above all, the watercraft in the stream and along the docks. I love it. <laughs> and we hope all of you have just as eloquent of a holiday. Um, those of you that are working, thank you for working. Um, and enjoy. Enjoy the fourth. Be careful, please. Keep your fire extinguisher safe <laughs> and a bucket Nearby. of water for your fireworks. <laughs> and make sure you have plenty of jollification. Exactly. I think we should work that in that word in every week now. There we go. Okay, it's a goal. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Go make some history, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Thank you for joining us for an adventure in history. An Adventure in History is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN.